0: And I would like manually have to pump each product into the jar and bottle it and and
1: label it. And I was doing all of this by hand. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikaela Matthews-O'Kome. So let's get started. While COVID-19 is having an unprecedented impact on the economy, companies like Gusto are still building tools to support your business and your people through the ups and the downs. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll, benefits, and HR to small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PCMag, and as a listener, you'll get 3 months free when you run your first payroll. Sign up and give it a try at gusto.com/shp. That's gusto.com/shp. Hey, hey guys, welcome. Welcome back to another episode of Side Hustle Pro. Today in the guest chair, we have Monique Rodriguez. Monique founded Mayel in 2014 after her healthy hair care regimen for her tailbone length hair became somewhat of a craze among her social media followers. The company began with only one product, believe it or not, the Advanced Hair Formula, which was a unique proprietary blend of herbs, amino acids, and minerals to support healthy hair, skin, and nails, and the immune system. Since then, Mayel has expanded to a half a dozen collections under Monique's direction, including products for skin and children. Mayel has been distributed in more than 87 countries and can be found in more than 100,000 stores across the U.S. in retailers such as Sally Beauty, Target, CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart, just to name a few. In addition to her work with Mayel, Monique is recognized as a leader in the business community, as well as a role model to women of all ages, She, alongside the Mayel brand, has been recognized in publications such as Forbes, Black Enterprise, Essence, and more. She's also been featured on popular national daytime television talk shows like The Steve Harvey Show, The Real, and The Wendy Williams Show. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always fame and shine and promotion. In today's episode, she shares the grind behind her rise, what started as her filling product containers by hand in her own garage and grew to warehouses and then major retailers and more. It's a story you do not want to skip, so stay tuned. So welcome to the guest chair, Monique.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
1: I am super excited today to be talking to you because I have followed your journey for years. I use Myel products myself, and I would just love to know today, you know, how would you describe yourself and when were you bitten by the entrepreneurship bug?
0: Obviously, I am the CEO of Myel Organics, and I am a God-fearing wife, a mother, and A boss. (laughs) I know people (laughs) use that term a lot, but you know, there's so much more that comes to this entrepreneurial world, so much more Mm -hmm. to being a boss than you know, was highlighted on Instagram. But I got bit by the entrepreneurial book when I was young like, this was way before Instagram. I remember envisioning myself as a little girl, probably maybe like seven or eight years old, and I would play house. You know how, like, you would play house as a young young kid and I would always be that business owner <laughs> and so you know I was never like okay now I knew I wanted kids but I was never like the the housewife I'm like I'm gonna be a business owner so I'll walk around with my little briefcase my little makeshift briefcase so I would always um do that vicariously as a kid so I guess that's when the bug bit me I never knew that I can actually become what I envisioned because obviously I didn't see that growing up. You know, I came from a middle to low class family, my mom, works as a secretary at the hospital and her dream was to become a nurse and she wasn't able to do so because of her financial constraints as a child so she kind of pushed her dream off on me and you know i let my dreams fall to the wayside and felt that okay well this is the best thing for me to do let me be comfortable let me do what my mom wants me to do and so i kind of let that entrepreneurial book go away and 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 the thing is, it didn't go away in my soul. I just consciously tried to like not think about it anymore, but it was always in me ever since I was a little girl.
1: Wow. I really feel that when you say, you know, your mom pushed her dream onto you in the sense that every parent wants their child to go on and achieve more than them, you know, and for you to actually have become a nurse. So tell us about that initial career path. Like, Were you led to nursing for any other reasons as well? Did you have a genuine love for it?
0: So I've always had a genuine love for just health. So my passions when I was younger was I was obsessed with hair like beautiful healthy hair. I was always obsessed with making sure that my hair was intact. I love learning <laughs> about the body. I love science like health and science were my favorite subjects in school. So going into a field that was with, within health and science was something that, you know, wasn't like terrible. Like I really enjoyed learning about it, but actually working it and, you know, working for someone else, it just wasn't in me. Like I hated the fact that I had to work for somebody else. Um, You know, not everybody, you know, can be an entrepreneur and not everybody can work for someone else. And I was that person that didn't want to work for anybody. So I went to nursing school and I felt that like nursing was more so of an a easier subject that I can learn um, because like, I hate math. You know, it takes a little, you have to learn a little bit of math to become a nurse because you have to learn how to calculate medications, but it's not like accounting. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I hated math uh, growing up. So I went into the nursing field, obviously because it was an easier subject for me to to do. And I felt felt that it was, I was more passionate about it because I love working with women and I love health and science. But every time like when I would go to work, I felt like I was in a box. I am a creative person. And I felt like nursing didn't give me the ability to really express myself in the way that I wanted to. And I just felt miserable shortly after I graduated nursing school and started in labor and delivery. And as a new grad, you're supposed to be excited. And I was excited about the money that I was making. But I really was (laughs) not excited about like the path that i was going i quickly turned into doing agency which is you know you kind of have that autonomy to do um to make your own schedule uh you really don't have to answer to like a boss because you're working for like an agency so i did that after working as a nurse for a year and the thing, the the downfall with that is that, yeah, you make great money as an agency nurse. So now I went from, you know, $20 an hour to, or $22 an hour to now making like $45 an hour as like a fresh new nurse. And I'm like, okay now my salary has capped out because i'm making what nurses have been making that we're doing it for like 20 30 years but obviously another downfall is that there are no benefits so that's why you're able to like you know make more money and i didn't need benefits because you know i was i had my husband i was on his insurance so i thought everything was good and then i had a wake-up call because i told myself okay if i'm already at the top of my pay scale then I have no room to grow. So when I am in this for 20, 30 years, I'm going to be making what I'm currently making right now. minus like a, the normal cost of living raise. I'm like, this can't be like life. Like <laughs> my salary is going to cap out. And I felt that being a business owner, um, in, entrepreneur, in the entrepreneurial world, like there is no cap, like you control how much you make. And I was still living paycheck to paycheck and I no longer wanted to live paycheck to paycheck. And I decided that I went into this career to make someone else happy, which was my mom. I'm doing something that I really don't love. I feel like I'm stuck in a box and my salary is capped. So now what are my options? So I ventured off and tried to do like, you know, Mary Kay, I went to direct sales. I sold Cincy Candles, whatever direct sale company came my way. I tried to hop on that bandwagon because obviously I didn't have a lot of money at the time and it was cheaper to start in direct sales. I felt like at that time you needed a lot of money to start a business and I didn't have any funds. I just had my paychecks in which I was living paycheck to paycheck. So I'm like, okay, maybe direct sales is an outlet for me obviously those didn't work. You know, it was very hard to sell something that you're not passionate about because I tell people all the time, I'm not a salesperson. I just, whatever I'm passionate about and I love, I just speak strongly of that. And that's the reason why Myelle is so successful because I never sold a product. I was very passionate about creating great products for women that look like me. And you can sell without selling and that's what separated you know what I do now from what I was trying to do and also I was trying to chase money and find out uh, find a way out of nursing and that's another place that I went wrong because you can't chase money if you're going into business thinking that you know you're going to be rich overnight because when you go to direct sales you honestly think at least I did that I was going to be rich overnight and it doesn't <laughs> happen that way and it was a wake-up call And, you know, I went through just several things. I tried to start a nursing agency. I tried to start a jewelry business and nothing ever works. And the thing is, I never took the time to get still and ask God for direction either. So that's Mm. first and, and most important is that I didn't seek his direction. And that's why everything that I tried didn't work. I went through a very tragic time in my life. Um, six years ago where I lost my son, I was pregnant with my, my third child. And unfortunately he passed away because I had a high risk pregnancy and I had a uterine rupture. And when that happened, my whole life just turned upside down. So here I am at this time, I'm now doing home health because I went to after all of my business ventures didn't work, I transferred into doing home health because that gave me more independence. It gave me more control over my schedule. I was allowed to be off on the weekends with my kids. So at this time I'm a home health nurse pregnant with my third child and my son passes away. And I'm just like, okay, God, like what, first of all, what is wrong with me? Like like I didn't do anything to deserve this. Like, this is how I was feeling all of these different emotions. And I had to ask God, like, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to reveal to me through this situation? And through that painful situation, my relationship with God became extremely close. My faith grew even stronger. Me and my husband, we got saved in church. So we were you know, just really dependent on God to just show us the way. And I had the vision just out of the blue to start a hair salon because I knew I love beauty and I love helping women feel beautiful. So that was my first thought to do that. But it quickly just uh, transferred into Creating products. After I figured that you know a salon was going to take a lot of work, I felt, and I really didn't want to you know be bothered with like stylists and managing people. Yeah, I had to learn that as a business owner, you're going to have to learn to manage people. But I was shying away from that because I'm like, look, I just want to do something that I love. I don't want to have to be bothered with all the other stuff. Um, And then God gave me the vision to create a product. And I started on uh, social media before I even started the product. I just started talking about hair care um, and just really talking about my passion and educating women using my nursing background uh, just to really give women the the facts on how to take care of their hair, how to grow healthy hair, what ingredients to use, what you shouldn't use just from my own experience and my transitioning from severely heat damaged hair to now having wanting my natural curl pattern to come back. You know, I was a whole bunch of emotions at the time.
1: I can't imagine. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. So, and it's like when you go through so many emotions and then it's like, you know, you finally get it. Like it was like, Wow, like God was speaking to me the whole time, but I didn't understand, like, really how to be still and listen to Him. Um, And I do feel that God uses us all as vessels to speak to each other, but we really have to pay attention. And when I started talking about hair care on social media, like women would just gravitate to the information that I was providing. I then transitioned from um providing information to so now making mixtures and putting it on my hair. And I will never forget a lady sent me a DM on Instagram and she was like, I love whatever it is that you made, but girlfriend, I, and this is exactly what she said, girlfriend, I don't have time to make my own products and I just buy what you're making. And <laughs> yes. That's when the light bulb went off. And I said, Okay. So that spirit, that entrepreneurial bug that I had in me ever since I was a young girl, it never went away. That dream, that passion that I had, it
1: never went away. It finally came to fruition. So around how many years out of, well, at this time, were you still in nursing?
0: Yes. So I was still working as a nurse. So just imagine like um, working as a nurse and having that happen and having to go back to work where you're miserable.
1: So what were the first steps you took to start creating these products and, and figuring out which products you wanted to create? Well, the first step, I would actually go to
0: my kitchen cabinet and make stuff like I would pull out honey, I would pull out mayonnaise, <laughs> olive oil. At that time, I would even take eggs out of the refrigerator and mix it. And then I, as over the course of me, uh, learning about products I learned that that's not the proper protein that I should put in my hair um, it's actually different proteins that we should put in our hair and not the protein from an egg but you know old school you hear that and I'm like oh let me put an egg in my hair because I know my hair need a protein for my curls to come back but it, that was the wrong protein but I would take things from my kitchen and mix it together and as I started researching and learning more then I started ordering different ingredients from different website I would order like, from countries like Brazil. Um, I would just get so obsessed with like just these different oils and exotic oils and learning about the benefits of it. And I would just order it and create products. Um, I decided to start with our first product, which was a mint almond oil, because it was, cheaper for me to start with an oil and i was using this oil at home and i was like this oil like i really love it It wasn't heavy or anything um and i started to notice like my hair started growing and so i'm like i'm gonna just start with this product i you know didn't start with a full collection because i didn't have a lot of money but i said i'm gonna just start with this product and i'm just see how it goes see how people like it um, launched my website on May 23rd, 2014, and that oil sold like crazy. I mean, I was shocked.
1: What? When you say 2014, that sounds like so recent. I could have sworn <laughs> this was, <laughs> it seems like you've been around forever. Yeah, starting <laughs> in 2014, yep. So you said, so that that product sold like wildfire.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Oh my gosh. So at that point, uh, I'm mean, curious to know the business steps did you take at that point? Was the name Maya Organics? Was it trademarked? Were you beginning to patent things? Like how, how what were your next steps?
0: Oh no, nothing. I didn't have any of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did it all wrong. It's I did
0: it all wrong. Yes. No, I was not trademarked in the beginning. No, my products were not patented because in, in the beauty care, you really don't need to patent your products. Patents are more so for like inventions or things of that nature, but you don't necessarily, it's not, um, a requirement for us to patent our products because that's really a waste of money because it costs a ton of money to patent products. So if you can imagine we have like over 60 products, uh, that will be very, very expensive. So it's really not a requirement to patent our products. Um, what it is, is, it's a requirement for you to own your formula. So that is one thing I always tell business owners, like make sure that you own your formula um, because, you know, you spend so much time creating something and it works really well and it performs well and it's not yours. And if you're working with a chemist or a manufacturer, they can take that same formula if it's not yours and sell it to someone else. So if it's not yours, you don't have a contract in place. You don't really own that formula. So all Mm. that hard work that you put into it, it's, it's very, it's just wasteful um, because you, you don't own it. So I always tell business owners to make sure that they go into um, business, make sure that they have the rights, they own it. So that's just as important as a patent would be for like an invention, such as like Spanx, the, the undergarment where like you need a patent for stuff like that. Um, so didn't have a trademark because I didn't really understand anything about trademark. I didn't, I didn't trademark until maybe like six months into it. And thank God nobody sold the name um, because I would have been in big trouble or in, in bad shape because the name Myel is a combination of my daughter's name. The company is named after them. So I wanted to name my company after what motivates me and inspires me the most and it's their name. So luckily no one took the name and you know I was able to brand it and market it without any trademark. The, on the flip side, the thing is if you have used the name first, and let's say someone comes behind you and tries to use that same name, you still have somewhat of an argument because if you can prove that, you know, you've had paperwork, you've had a website and the website was produced in January and this person started using the the name in March, you do have some type of like defense to say, okay, this trademark shouldn't belong to them. It it Mm -hmm. goes, you know, and I'm not a lawyer, but I do know a little bit. But if that person had the name trademarked prior to you using it and you started using it after them, then that's a different story. So I did make sure that no one had the name Mayel, but luckily no one started using the name after I used it. Um, And then once I was able to afford uh, legal fees, that's when I was able to
1: trademark. Got it. So when did you start selling consistently and setting up an official brand?
0: So the day that we launched Like we have not, not had a sale since the day that we've launched.
1: And when did you realize that you could do this full time? So, you know, walk us through that transition. I realized that (laughs) a week into doing it because
0: (laughs) listen, and I say that because everything that I, tried to do, like I said, nothing ever sold. So for mm. this one product to sell like it did, I knew I had something special because I knew that my vision came from God. So I knew it was special from the very, like from a week into doing it. I actually typed up my resignation letter to my job about a week into starting my ill. I didn't give it to my boss, but I typed it out, hung it on my wall and looked at it every day. And I dated it for, I think, November. And I was able to leave my job in October. So talk about speaking things into fruition. So I knew very quickly because like each day we saw growth. It was day over day, month over month, growth, growth, growth. And every day we had sales. And so I knew that, okay, if I can give this 100%, I know I can take this thing far. So that's why I knew that I had to quit my job um early in order to really put my all into my business and make it go where I needed it to go. You know, people always say, well, I don't know when I should quit my job or how do you transition, you know, have a plan, but also make sure you're seeing growth. I didn't have a savings, you know, um a lot of people say save up for 6 months. How how could I save up for 6 months if I was living paycheck to paycheck? So, I didn't have like a savings per se. Um, obviously we had our 401k, but I mean, you know, you really didn't want it to happen to that. Uh, right. So, but I I had a plan and, and my husband was still working. So we still had at least one income coming in, but you know, I just knew that I needed to give this a hundred percent and I, we saw growth and I knew that it was
1: time. It was time. So what were those early days? Like, um, the Mayel we know today is the Mayel that's in Target, <laughs> you know, it's all, everywhere you go, you can look on a shelf, CVS, and see it, um, but once you left your job, what were the next steps to get started, to start packaging and selling products consistently?
0: So we always had our operation that was in our garage. So we had a full-blown operation while I was still working. Once I left my job, um, I was able to um, really manage our social media. I was doing customer service. I was doing graphic design. I was doing like PR work. And my (laughs) husband, (laughs) he he would help. And granted, he still worked and he worked night shift. So he would get off work and he would come home and he would pack orders. You know, I would pump because um, we used to at this time, you know, I have found a chemist that was in Chicago that helped me, you know, mass produce the products. And when I say mass produce, I'm not talking about like where we are now, but scale up from like me mixing it in a bowl. So now Mm -hmm. we were producing products and drums. We would have the drums shipped to our garage and I would like manually have to pump each product into the jar and bottle it and, and label it. And I was doing all of this by hand. So if people that have followed us and ordered our product from the very beginning, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the labels were crooked because I was (laughs) doing all of that by hand. (laughs) Um, and so once I was able to leave my job, it just freed up more time to really you know uh make us more efficient with getting products out on time. Sometimes our shipping would be like two weeks, and I'm just being honest, and that was because it this was like a two man show, and it's hard when you're a small business trying to manage everything, and it's just you or you and your husband or you and your partner. And you're trying to, you know, ship products and you're trying to make products and you're trying to do social media and you're trying to do customer service like it something was sacrificed and it was, you know, sometimes our shipping, even though I tried my best to get it out as quickly as I can, I could, but the orders were coming in so fast that, you know, we ended up on back order and, you know, we would have so many shipping delays, upset customers, but, you know, I would try to overly communicate like, you know, this is out of stock, um, but allow us this time to get the orders to you. So it was a lot of like, great customer service that I had to do. And we still do in the beginning. So that's why you hear a lot of uh, people, they like um, swear by our customer service because that is so important to me because if you have a great product, but you have bad customer service, like your your customer's not gonna come back. Right. right. <laughs> you can't please everybody. There's always mm-hmm. gonna be one sour grape, you know, always. Remember that as a business owner, you're going you to always have somebody that's going to be unhappy. But if I have 90 people that are happy and that support me, and 10 people that don't like me and don't support me, I'm okay with that. Um so and I had to realize that especially early on in the beginning because when I would get a negative review or somebody would say something bad about our shipping I would really take that to heart but I had to learn to let that go and focus my energies on the positive versus the negative so it was a lot of adjusting getting used to just working with people in a mass way um and again I had to hire someone to come in and do customer service which was a family member and she, you know, she did customer service for us in the beginning and that alleviated uh, a lot of my time spending on the phone because we had like so many calls coming. I'm like, what? Wow, these people are like really calling and I <laughs> couldn't understand it because it was like just an Oreo, but they have yeah. questions. So that took up a lot of time. So it was really learning how to delegate, you know, where I'm most productive and where I need to put my energy in to grow the business. And that was social media.
1: And I'm glad you raised the customer service point. It's something that is so, so important that I think some people take for granted. I mean, I will never forget. It's like that Maya Angelou quote like you know, you might forget what someone says, but you'll never forget how they made you feel and their businesses who I will never forget how they made me feel, whether for good or for bad. (laughs) So remember that. Now um, what was that initial investment like? Because I'm hearing you talk about um, mass manufacturing, at least in the, in the sense of having tubs in the garage. And I'm just wondering what did that cost up front when you were starting the business?
0: Yeah, so in totality, I spent about 10,000 to get started. And when I say 10,000, no, that was not all upfront. That was me basically making payment arrangements on my business and using my job to finance my business. So by the time I was able to launch, in may i had spent about ten thousand dollars getting it off the ground um so that included like cost for the manufacturer that i was working with and they were a small manufacturing company so again yeah. they they were not a big company so they were able to work with me and allow me to you know still have my formulas um and i found them on google <laughs> 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 so yes that's what, it took me that much to start um start my company. Um, now the thing is when it was time for us to scale up and go into like retails, that's a whole nother cost. And we were lucky. Well, I won't say lucky. We were blessed with, um, and a loan from one of my husband's friends that gave us the money to upfront the the cost to go into Sally Beauty, because re- when you go into retails, you have to have money to pay for the orders up front. So when I say that, you know, things have happened for us in divine order and and divine intervention, it truly yes. has, because every step, when I tell you I've been running this business off of faith, I have, because Every time that we were at a wall, and we were like, "Okay, what do we do now? God has came through for us when we first got our uh retail partnership with Sally Beauty. I was scratching my head out trying to figure out how am are we going to pay for the this this order? how are we going to pay to get products on the shelf? You know because you gotta pay for that first, and then we have to ship on time if you don't ship on time, they're fine, so I was like. Really stressing myself out, and then it was like an angel appeared, <laughs> you know, literally. And you know, we were able to get along to up front the cause for Sally Beauty. So again, like this, God has truly blessed us. And I mean, I can't stress this enough that if you don't have Him at the center, and if you don't keep Him first and be still and listen to You, I mean, listen to Him. No matter how many podcasts you listen to, no matter how many business seminars you go to you know, it's not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable. Like God really has to be your business plan because he has truly
1: worked miracles in mind. And at what stage did you start hiring? So you talk about doing a lot, pumping stuff into jars yourself. Um, at what point did you feel comfortable hiring?
0: So at, we felt comfortable hiring at about um, shortly after I quit my job. So it was like maybe eight, nine months into this into Mayo, and we were still in our garage and first person I hired was customer service. And that was family because we were in our home. So I felt comfortable with like having family members come in our home and they came to work every day, like nine to five, it was just one. And then the other two people were uh, also basically like family. Uh, They were coming our home, start at nine o'clock, punch out. We had a punch clock and everything, punch out at five (laughs) o'clock and, you know, those were the, they were responsible for like packing. And now they were taught how to like pump the product and make sure that it was sanitary, bottle it, uh, put the labels on. They were still putting labels on by hand as well, but I had to like show them all that. So first three people was customer service rep. And then we had two people working in our garage that were doing like the, the pumping, the packing, um, and the shipping. And then my husband is well, it was a third person. Okay. And I'm sorry. Was, and then my mom. So, I'm okay. Sorry. Shout out to my, mom. Yeah, it was my mom, <laughs> um, two, two f- friends of the family, and my husband. So, we had actually four total people that were responsible for like the warehouse, so called, but they were in the garage
1: and then one in customer service. Hey guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsors. If you have turned your side hustle into an official business, you're probably starting to see that small business owners, we have to wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are really fun, but some, like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, are not so fun. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is. I've even had Side Hustle Pro guests rave about how essential Gusto has been to their business. So let Gusto wear one of the many hats in your own business. And remember, Side Hustle Pro listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at Gusto.com SHP. That's Gusto.com SHP. All right, Side Hustle hack time. I used to waste so much time sending back and forth emails to schedule a call with someone. And one of the best ways I now save time in my business is by using a scheduling tool. So meet Acuity. Acuity is like your scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar so you can focus on all the other important aspects of your business. From the moment clients book with you using Acuity, Acuity automatically sends booking confirmations with your brand and your messaging. It delivers email and text reminders. And of course, you get notified anytime a new appointment is booked, so you can have it automatically update the calendars you already use, like Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365. And you can check your schedule right from your phone. Speaking of calendars, with Acuity, clients are able to see your real-time availability on your calendar and self-book their own appointments, reschedule if they need to, and even pay online. Plus, you can collect everything you need to know about a client as soon as they book by asking them to fill out custom intake forms when they're scheduling. All you need to do is show up at the right time. And I personally just love having an easy link for people to go to and make this process seamless. You look a hundred times more professional. So save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using acuity scheduling. And for a limited time only, you can get 45 days of acuity scheduling absolutely free. That's 45 days free, no credit card required by going to acuity scheduling.com slash hustle pro. What was that like working with family? Like were you actually paying people or was it like a uh, you were giving them equity? how what was that arrangement to keep it professional but yet still call on the village?
0: Yeah, so it it was a challenge. Uh we ended up hiring two more family members as we continued to grow. And the other two family members that we hired just didn't work out. The family member that I had working on customer service, that relationship ended up not working out eventually because of, you know, other, her own personal issues. Uh, But at at first we were paying some of our family just cash, Mm. you know, and, you know, or we would... Like, write them a check, but they were not being taxed or anything. Like, I guess you can say they were being paid under the table. And then, as we started to grow, and we were realizing that, okay, we're going to get taxed on this money. So, why did I get taxed? <laughs> <laughs> so, we had to quickly change right. that. So, once we decided to go quote unquote legit and have them pay their own taxes. Some of our family members didn't like that idea and didn't want to pay taxes and they quit.
1: (laughs) Thanks for keeping it real with that. Yeah. (laughs) They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. But it's a a step you had to take. I mean, you you had to, you know, get all your ducks in a row.
0: Yeah. And so people ask me all the time, how do I feel about working with family? It's fine if your family is aligned with your vision. If and they want to see you grow. Mm. If they're not, it's not going to work. So again, m- my vision was to grow. My vision, you know, was to be a legit company. I can't be legit if I'm paying you under the table. And if you can't understand that, then you're not the right fit to work
1: with me anyway. So, you know, if you guys have to be aligned, absolutely. And about how long were you? Work. So it was about eight, eight to nine months after you quit that you started hiring. At what stage did you move out of your garage and now take it up a notch into warehouses to distribute and make your product at truly at scale? Yes.
0: Yeah, so we, like I said, launched our website May 23rd. We were able to move into our uh, first warehouse, which was about 3000 square foot Square feet, and we moved there like a year later. So, in May, so it was actually on our around the time of our anniversary, we were able to move into a warehouse. So, we had been operating out of the garage for about a year um, until we were kind of like forced to move out of our garage because at that point we had semi trailers. We lived in a subdivision. <laughs> down the, the turn into the subdivision. We had drums of products. We had tons of garbage that needed to go on like the actual like dumpsters, not a residential garbage can. Um, and I, I remember we had so much garbage that my husband went to like a family dollar and he put the garbage in like their dumpster. <gasps> I guess you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But like we didn't know where to put it because it was so much. So we got a knock on the door from the police. And the police was basically like, what are y'all doing in here? (laughs) And that's when we told ourselves like, okay, it's time to go. Because we don't want to cause any more attention to ourselves other than like, you know, what's already being seen with these big old trucks coming down.
1: Right. So
0: yeah, so that's when we knew that it was time to move because we don't want the police knocking at our door.
1: And that, that is so funny. And w- was it hard to find, you know, a, a warehouse facility?
0: No, not at all. Because like where we live, I live in like a suburban area and it's a lot of landfills out here. It's a lot of warehouse space. It's a lot of like opportunities for you to have a warehouse because it's like fields out here. So finding a warehouse, that was the easy part. It was like getting in there and setting up the logistics. That's the hard part because we had to have a build out. We had to um, like have at that time UPS came in to try to help us with making our operation more efficient. Um, the great thing is my husband worked at UPS. He was a project engineer for mm-hmm. uh, twenty. He worked there for twenty years, but. Um, after he graduated college, he became a project engineer because he started when he was like 16. So he was there for like 20 years. And so because of his engineering background, it helped so much with like setting up our warehouse space because, you know, he he comes from that environment. So that was like a plus and he comes from logistics. So setting up that part, like I had no clue, like how to do it, what to do, where to start. And uh, thank God for him because he was very instrumental in setting up our whole warehouse operation in conjunction with UPS. So I'm very wow. thankful for that.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that because you're right. I I don't have any idea what goes into that, but it's not just getting a space and paying rent. You have to figure yeah. out, okay, what is the assembly line? Where, you know, mm-hmm. where do things go? How do we how do we arrange pickups from UPS? So if you had to give advice to some to another entrepreneur who is now at the stage where they're getting ready to move into a warehouse, what are some things to be aware of?
0: Um I would say you really want to utilize your resources and um, a great resource for us because well before you move into a warehouse number one i recommend that you go to a shipping agency like you know fedex or ups and not the post office because the post office is not that great with making sure that you know you get your products on time um so making sure you're dealing with a reputable shipping company and if you are they will also provide you um with the resources to set up your whole logistical warehouse space. So my whole thing is, um, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you in areas that you're not. And they have that for you and utilize that. And they will come out and basically set up your whole operation if you don't have like someone like my husband that knows that space Mm -hmm. they will come out and help set it up for you and it's free of charge because you're shipping with them
1: so what exactly are they setting up are they setting up like an assembly line to like put the labels on the products or like what exactly do you mean when you say the logistic aspect of it
0: so, they don't set it up per se, but they come out with an architect and he basically like designs it and gives you like a recommendation on how your assembly line should be and how mm-hmm. it can be more efficient. So, whether you have people that are pulling and then picking, scanning for inventory, and then this person over here on this side of the belt is actually putting the products, double checking the inventory, and then putting it on the assembly line so it can go into the UPS truck or it goes into the shipping space. Um, So they just give you, like, suggestions on how they feel will be most efficient depending on, like, the size of your warehouse and, you know, how uh, it's designed. Uh, So they'll give you suggestions, and that's basically what they did for us. And we took what they gave us and then just put our own little spin to it and um, we managed it that way. Another thing, you have the option for third-party logistical companies that will pick, pull, and pack your your items. But the the I guess the one the thing that I didn't like about it is that it takes away from the whole experience that I wanted to give to my customers. So yeah, I can easily ship my products to this logistical third-party. Uh, logistical company. And all they're going to do is they're going to simply just put the products in the brown box, put some protective stuff in there so it doesn't break and it's just going to go out. And I wanted to make sure that my customers had an experience. I wanted to make sure that my customers knew that it was hand packed with love and going to a 3PL, obviously we couldn't afford it at that time, but it also took away from the experience that I wanted to provide to my customers. So it depends on like your brand, your business model. You can either go to a 3PL company where they're, they'll they do the same exact thing that UPS will come out and show you how to do. Mm. So you, I mean, you have options. That is now, a huge tip.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: And I was just going to say another thing, what you can do is so, We are now going to utilize a 3PL company when we run huge, massive sales because the volume is just so much that in order for us to be efficient, we're just going to let our customers know like, okay, you're not going to get the pretty pink box this time, but we want to make sure you get your order on time. Yes. And so- Because again, that's the customer service component. So some things you may have to sacrifice, but for the most part on an everyday operation, I want to make sure that my customer gets an experience. So that's why we do a lot of our shipping and everything in-house. So again, you have options and just depending on how your brand is, you know, those are your
1: options. To me, one of the scariest parts of having a product-based business, moving into warehouse is you have to really be on top of what you're spending to make one product and you know if you have waste for example what did that cost you making sure that things are tight like you said scanning for inventory keeping track of inventory so you're not losing money on products that are not selling how do you manage that whole process so it's less intimidating and it's actually you know more profitable
0: yeah so and and i'm gonna have to be totally honest with you like i said i am not a numbers person and i don't like dealing with it i am aware of it, I know what's, you know, going on, but my husband is the one who handles like, you know, um, inventory, the operation side, because that's what he's good at. I'm good at marketing. So it's like, you know, operating in your gift because when you operate in your gift, you're just more productive. You get a lot more out of that person when they're doing what they love doing. Um, So for us, we have an inventory system right now that we currently use and it's called Fishbowl. We're actually moving up to something else. And then we use QuickBooks to manage our inventory and, um, you know, our P&L sheet our costs were really high in the beginning because at that time we didn't know you know what was the average price a product should be you know per one product we were paying almost i don't even want to say like eight (laughs) dollars for one product and that is like way too expensive because where are you going to have room to market you know like you said uh you still have to pack it you still you're going to have wastage so if i'm paying $8 for a product. I don't really want to rip my customers off and charge them $20. I still want it to be somewhat affordable. So it's getting to a point where you really understand and you can manage, um, your cost of goods and knowing where materials are sourced and the, the, um, bigger you get as a company, you get volume discounts. So again, you may not be able to start with very cheap prices, but as your company grows, you're able to go in there and negotiate. You have more buying power. So as we were growing, we use that as leverage to say, okay, we're, we're here now, but the, at the trajectory that we're growing, we're going to be here within the next couple of months. So I know that I'm going to buy this amount. Give me, these for, give me this for a cheaper cost. And Mm -hmm. if you go in there and you negotiate right, you know, dealing with who you're working with, they'll be able, if they see it, they'll work with you for the most part. But you have to be able to show them something.
1: Mm -hmm. And at what stage did opportunities come to now move into retail?
0: So we moved into retail after being in business for a year. Wow. So we got. How did that come about? Yeah. So we were, so again, we started in 2014. We went into retail and, and. February of 2016, but we had our first. So you have to
1: meet with the retailers
0: a year prior to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Were you then pitching yourself
1: to them? Did you did you just write them an email or call them up?
0: No, I no. Listen, my my vision <laughs> plan to go into retail was year five. Ah. I had it on my vision board. I was going into retail year five. Because of what I was doing on social media and the buzz was going around about my yell, uh, Sally Beauty heard of us, and we were dealing with the sales broker at that time, and they called our sales broker, and granted, we had just met the sales broker. So our relationship was very, very new. And our sales broker called us, and I want to say it was August of two thousand and fifteen. So again, this we were only operating for like a year. And she's like, Sally's well let me back up we were in Dallas Texas for my daughter's gymnastics meet because she was doing gymnastics at the time and it was in Dallas Texas we got the call from our sales broker while we were in Texas and Sally's headquarters is in Denton Texas which is about 40 minutes outside of Dallas so here we are we get this phone call and she goes Sally's wants to meet you guys and I'm like Sally's wants to meet us And she's like, Yeah. And I'm like, When? And she was like, Today, tomorrow? And I'm (laughs) like, Well, we have our kids here with us. So I'm, you know, trying to make an excuse. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Okay, let me see if, you know, we can uh, reschedule and you guys come back down here when your kids are not with you. She called us back and she was like, Sally said bring your kids. I was like, What? So again, when I talk about divine order, you cannot tell me that that was not God, because how is it that, well, first of all, I don't believe in coincidence. There is no coincidence that we were in Denton, I'm sorry, Dallas, Texas, to get this call to meet with Sally's in Denton, Texas. Like, how? (laughs) And so I went into, we went into Sally's meeting with our kids and I did not have a presentation. I didn't have anything. I just went in there and talked about what I did, how I grew my brand to where I had grown it within that year. And they were like, okay, well, we're just going to test you out in about 95 stores. And so that's when their planogram reset. And we went in there in February of 2016. We announced it on social media. I will never forget to this date. It was February 19th. 2016, we launched in 95 stores and sold out in two to three hours. Wow. It caused so much chaos that they called our broker again, the CEO of Sally's, and they were like, okay, whatever Mayel is doing, can you please tell them to stop? Because they're causing (laughs) chaos in our stores. They are having customers uh, call the managers, the managers are holding products. Like it's so chaotic. And we're like, well, we didn't have the customer's do that. All we said was we were going to be in (laughs) salary. And, you know, to make a long story Mm -hmm. short, we went from 95 stores to all of their stores, chain wide, 3000 stores in less than six months. And that has never happened to a new brand.
1: Oh my gosh. And so we have to talk about this marketing piece because you said that they, you caught their attention from what you were doing and you were operating in your gift. So share a little bit more about that, what you do and what you did in the early days to market Myel products.
0: Well, again, you know, it's all about connection. You know, if you have social media and you know how to connect with people, you can run a business You know, and for me, I took the same way that I build trust with my patients as a nurse. I took the same principle and applied that to building trust with, you know, people who were following me at at the time. And the way you build trust is to be open, to be transparent, to be genuine, to be your true authentic self. You know, that's what sells. People want to do business with who they know, like, and trust. If they don't know you, if they don't like you, I don't care. You can have the best product in the world. They're probably not going to buy from you because especially now in the days that we live in, they're going to think it's a scam. So if you develop a relationship, you have to quote unquote date your customers. You know, Just like you go out on a date with a, a guy that you meet for the first time. Like, You guys are going to try to get to know each other. You're going to tell him something about you. He's going to tell you something about him. You guys are going to engage So if someone comes to my page and they ask me a question and comment on my picture, I'm going to engage back with them. That's how you develop trust. Like you have a lot of influencers, celebrities that they don't respond back to comments, you know, and it's, it's very simple. Like have a relationship with people because that's, the foundation of business. And if you develop a relationship with people versus just selling them a product, they'll buy from you because they like who you are as a person. And I was truly just being my authentic self with um, posting hair tutorials. I would, you know... Post different hairstyles. I would, you know, talk about different ingredients, and then also tell people the explanation why you should or shouldn't use these ingredients. So again, just providing them with value and information, um, because I feel that when you can add value to someone's life, like you said, it goes back to people remember how you make them feel. So if you felt good by listening to maybe a IG video that I posted, if I made you feel good by a quote that I posted, like. I'm doing my job, that's impact. And you develop a loyal customer base by impacting lives. It's not about, for me, it's not just about hair products. But when I got into this, I thought to myself, how can I change lives and how can I serve my audience better? Because at the end of the day, we're all here on this earth to serve. That's why God put us here. And if you go into things with a servant mentality and giving your all to people that watch you and follow you, you'll be successful.
1: I love that reminder. Thank you for that. Because um, in this climate that we're in today, it can be so easy to just start thinking about numbers. Like you were saying in, in the early days, like everything you started, it was about how can I make money? And, mm-hmm. and you have to just remember that you were put on this earth to serve. Yep. You know, no matter what your beliefs are, at the end of the day, we're all here for a purpose. We weren't just created um, you know, for no reason not, you know, for lack of being eloquent, (laughs) but we're here for a reason. So as much as possible, try to live your life in a way that you're working towards finding out that reason and you're giving the world what it needs. Yep. Absolutely. Now, before we jump into the lightning round, I just want to learn a little bit about, um, so, you know, you now had more overhead with the warehouse. You now, like you said, it's a huge deal to be in, um, major retailers, but it's also extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are losing money in these early days of scaling so fast and as quickly as you did. What was your experience? When did you become profitable?
0: Um, So we were profitable from the very beginning, uh, even though our costs were high, but we didn't have the expensive retail. We became less Mm -hmm. profitable when we went into retail and then we had to like, yeah, I guess pivot and and make a turn to, to get back to that profitable state because going into retail, like you said, there are expenses that, you know, I wasn't necessarily aware of. I didn't even realize that when we ran a sale that I had to pay for that sale. So here you are running all of these sales and then you get all of these chargeback, these bills that you as a company have to pay for. So for me, it was learning how to navigate understanding like the fees and the chargebacks, the buybacks, understanding the retail costs and adjusting my business model to um, the retail space and not to just e-commerce. So we had to like work to get um, better costs with our manufacturers. We also had to really make sure that what we agreed to because every year you sign a contract and what we were agreeing to was in our budget. So it was budgeting properly for the retail. Um, because we went through a year where, you know, the profit was like in shambles, and we really had to turn it around in order to have a profitable business because that your profits, you wanna reinvest that back into your business to grow the business. And once I really understood that and learned that and learned the business of retail, you know, we were able to pivot and adjust our business model accordingly. But it was a learning curve for us because, you know, retail is a, definitely a new environment. It was not how our e-commerce was um, because, again, e-commerce was very profitable. Retail and
1: more straightforward. Yeah,
0: Correct. And, you know, there are a lot of hidden fees in retail that you don't always see. So, you know, it's really learning to navigate that, having a good broker um, that helps you understand those contracts, because if you don't come from that space, you're not going to understand it. Like, I'm just not going to lie.
1: Can you help us understand a little bit more about some of those fees? So when you say you have to pay for the sale, um, so chargebacks are those customers that are defaulting on payments? Like, tell us more about the buybacks, the chargebacks, all of that, those hidden fees.
0: Yeah, so... When you deal with like chargebacks, it can be damaged products. It can be okay. customers that have returned products, but a lot of it is, I guess, what you can consider is wastage. You have a lot of products that get damaged in shipment. If a customer goes to your to the shelf and, let's say, they stick their finger in a product, and you know, um, somebody else comes behind them and they find the same product with the finger stuck fingerprint in it, they're going to take it to the register. And then that's going to be considered as a damage or waste. So that stuff, all you, you know, you have to pay for. And I think you asked another question. What was the
1: other question? What does it all mean? The buybacks, the chargebacks, and the hidden fees.
0: Oh, okay. And then, so another retail, for instance, they take a percentage off of your invoice just because, you know, they're that retailer and you, I mean, you can't negotiate it because you're paying for that shelf space. So it can be e- either anywhere from 12% to 15% that they just automatically take off of invoice. Um, and then that retail space, again, you have to pay for that space. Every time the planogram resets, some retailers have what you call like a slotting fee, meaning that you have to pay for, and get this, because this is, it really blew me. You have to pay for the labor that it takes for their employees to remove old product off the shelf to put your product on the shelf.
1: Oh man! <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> wow! Like, wow! Crazy, but I didn't know that in the beginning. I'm like, what? What is this? Of- I had to learn yes. that. Yeah. Uh, so, if you decide to make a price change, or if you decide to make a label change, you again have to pay. For that labor of what it takes to get your product off the shelf, you got to pay for the people to um, replace it with new product and you got to pay the retailer the difference of that price change that you made. So, I mean, that's just like a few that I could think of off the top of my head
1: oh, that was very enlightening. And given, given all that you've just said, um, I think that can sometimes inti- be intimidating to think, well, maybe I'll just continue selling out of my, you know, little store and I'll just keep this as a garage operation. You know, some people might think that after hearing that, but can you tell us, well, how can you make retail worth it for you so that you're not just focused on the fees and you're actually seeing the value of that opportunity?
0: Well, first, I would tell any business owners to first make sure that your company is financially stable before going into retail Mm -hmm. and that there is a demand for your brand. Because if there is not a demand, and I tell people this all the time because it is so cute to post it on social media and say that you're in Target. But if there is no demand for your brand, again, if that product does not sell, you are paying the chargeback. So again, that means your product didn't sell. You're gonna have to pay the price that you sold it to them, you gotta pay, I'm sorry, not the price you sold it to them because you're gonna sell it to them at like a wholesale cost. But let's say your cost was $14.99 on shelf, you're paying full price, not the cost that you sold it to them, you're paying full price for all that product to be removed and come back to you. And you're also paying for the labor that entails um, to get the product off the shelf again. So please make sure that there is a demand for your brand because you don't want that to happen. On the flip side, it's it's so worth it because, you know, you have more brand exposure, more brand awareness. You look at it as like marketing for your brand. So if you already have a brand that's in demand and now it's on shelf, it just brings more eyeballs and more brand awareness to your brand. So that's a a huge benefit. And obviously what you're going to... I guess the orders that are going to come from like the retail space, is going to like pretty much quadruple what you're making on e-commerce because, you know, it's, it's still limited you still have customers that shop in the store and you still have customers that strictly shop on e-commerce. So it's also great to have both a lucrative e-commerce platform and also retail. So just because we went into retail, we still have a great value on our e-commerce because again, these are two different shoppers. So um, again, if you are able to have that demand and that marketing on the shelf and still have a lucrative e-commerce platform, that's also a win-win situation. You don't have to just take away from your e-commerce. Now it will drop once you go into retail, but it doesn't have to as long as you still do creative things to, to keep people coming to your website. So for me, I look at it as it's great brand awareness, it's great brand exposure. And, you know, your profits can be really great if you manage it properly. And it and it helps you to really invest into your business because the profits that you receive from retail, if it's done correctly, will be way better than the profits on e-commerce to invest and to grow your business.
1: Okay, that is very, very encouraging. So thank you for sharing both sides. So, um, you know, knowing what you do, knowing what you know now, if you were to start all over again, is there anything you would do differently?
0: Uh, no. And the reason why I say that is because everything that I've done, I've learned and I've grown from, and it's only made me be a better business owner, a better CEO. And I truly believe that the challenges, the obstacles that I've gone through, that I face is for me to share my story, to help someone else to not make those same mistakes. So I wouldn't change anything. So what is next for Myel Organics? What is next for Mayel? We're continuing to grow. We're now in over 100,000 major retail stores. We are expanding in South Africa. So truly being that global beauty brand is my ultimate goal. So I'm just having tunnel vision and staying focused and continuing to deliver great products based on what my customer needs. Mm,
1: All right. So now we're going to jump into a quick lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Speed is of the essence. You do not have to elaborate. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Number one, what is a resource that helped you in launching and growing your business that you can share with the side hustle pro audience? Okay. Google. (laughs) Number two, what has been the best business book that you've directly used in your business? Uh, Profit First. Alrighty. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of Monique's routine?
0: I have to pray and meditate every morning.
1: Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in having success in your business? Journaling and
0: doing uh, vision boards.
1: Okay. And finally, number five, what's your parting advice now for fellow entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about stepping away from that full-time job?
0: Yeah. So I would say definitely have a plan in place. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I always go by that. Um, And like I said earlier, make sure that you see growth. And if you see growth you know, month over month, year over year, if you've been doing this for a couple of years, um, if you put 100% into this, you can grow your company even further, but always plan ahead.
1: All right, love it. So guys, um, tell us where can we connect with you after this episode?
0: Yeah. So you can follow me on my social media platform at Exquisite Mo and that's E-X-Q-U-I-S-I-T-E-M-O and also at Myelle Organics, M-I-E-L-L-E Organics with
1: an S. All right. And there you have it. Monique Rodriguez of Myelle Organics.